today we're going to start uh, a series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's been quite some time since I've really just taken this on and to talk about it. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. While you find that place, let me say that Wednesday night, uh, this past Wednesday as we began our series on God's grace and the end of the world, it looked like a Sunday morning in here, so many people, and we were so blessed and encouraged by your presence and pray you'll join us again. And if you didn't make it last Wednesday, you can drop right in at any time. Don't miss any of these. We've already done one. We've got five more to go. <clears throat> and we're looking at, a, at, a, at the eschatological or the uh, end times uh, with a little different view that I believe will bless and touch you. Uh, so just please join us here Wednesday night at 7. We'll, we got you out uh, on time, didn't we? And we'll do that again this Wednesday night. Have child care provided uh, for you uh, as well if you want to avail yourself of that. Today we're talking about moving by grace in the gifts of the Spirit. Moving by grace in the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, and you notice that the word gifts is italicized. A lot of people emphasize that. He is talking about the spirit, the spiritual life. How many knows that being a Christian is to be supernatural? If we're a Christian and we're not supernatural, we're being superficial. And we're missing the depth that God has available to us. But it is entirely uh, uh, appropriate that they put the word gifts here. And how many knows when I say they, uh, don't want to confuse you, sometimes I assume too much. But if you're reading from a King James Version or a New King James Version as I am, the word gifts is italicized. And uh, we know what that means, Why, right? What does it mean? It means it's been added by the translators. It's not in the, that word doesn't appear in the original Greek, but it's been added so that we can fully understand or appreciate what's being talked about. So down in verse 4, he says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. So this is what we're talking about. So again, back to verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now any place that the Bible says that he doesn't want us to be ignorant means we need to study about it, right? We need to be here preached and taught. Now he says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. Dumb there means they couldn't speak, these idols that couldn't talk. He said, however, you were led into that by being uh, not knowing about the Lord. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. What this is meaning in the New Testament writers, most of them were dealing with a false cult uh, called Gnosticism. And uh, they denied not the deity of Jesus, but they denied the humanity of Jesus. John addressed that in 1 John where he said that, that he uh, came into flesh, that anybody that says that Christ didn't come into flesh, he said that's the Antichrist spirit. And uh, so the Gnosticism, uh, even Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that after the resurrection of Jesus and with this false teaching that invaded the church, he said at one point, one-third of the Christians gave heed to this false teaching, uh, that this, this, this thing that was the enemy was trying to, to come because if you deny the humanity of Jesus, then we don't have any chance to be like him or do anything that he did. And so he said, that's, why, that's what he's addressing here. Nobody, uh, you know, therefore I make known to you, he says, that no one can, uh, speaking by the Spirit, 
of God calls Jesus accursed. And then he says, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Any other religion that denies the lordship of Jesus is a false religion. Jesus is preeminent. He is either Lord of all or Lord not at all. Amen. So that's what he's talking about. Then verse four, there are diversities. Everybody say diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences, say differences of ministries, but it's the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit. Now what we're talking about, we're going to name nine of them here. He does. And all these nine are, are the Holy Spirit but they are the different manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Uh, is given to each one for the profit of all. I like the way the NIV reads that. It says, for the common good of everyone. And then he says, for, now he's going to name them, verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts, notice it's plural, gifts, plural, of healings, plural, by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, notice, distributing to each one individually as he wills. He is God there. So God is the one that distributes these gifts as he wills in his body. Amen. The first thing that I want us to be very, very clear on when talking about, and this is a lot of times referred to as the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are more gifts than this, but in this chapter, Paul names nine specifically. And uh, that they are gifts. Everybody say gifts. Uh, if, if, if it's a gift, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it like we just sung about. The word translated gifts here into English is the Greek word uh, charisma. Charisma. And it just means gift. And the word charisma comes from the root word charis, which is grace. So how many can see easily that these are grace gifts? These are gifts of God's grace. That's why I entitled this moving uh, by grace into the gifts or, uh, of the Holy Spirit because they are grace gifts. Uh, sometimes, I, you know, I was growing up and you would hear people say, well, I prayed and I fasted for three weeks before the Lord gave me this gift. Well, he didn't give you a gift, then he gave you a paycheck. H Hello. You, you can't earn this. You don't get this by praying and fasting. You, you, this, is a, this is a free gift uh, given uh, to individuals as God chooses, but it's not a paycheck. You don't earn it. You don't have to, to beg for it. Now, I, I don't say that to say you don't have to pray for it. It is appropriate, and I'm going to show you that. I meant to pray uh, to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit so these gifts can flow through you. Other, others say, well, I can't see uh, how that God used this person with the gifts. In other words, they will, they will name some great person and it was mightily used by God, and yet they would see or hear uh, possibly of certain individuals where they were moral failures or shortcomings in their life or even sin in their life, and yet in spite of that, God was using them powerfully. I've seen the church just get so derailed 
when they would see a person that was being mildly used of God and all of a sudden it comes on to the news that they were involved in some sin. They were involved in adultery or they were an alcoholic or they had this problem or that problem. And then the church this says, well, I don't understand that. I don't understand how that God could use them so mildly and yet they have this sin. Listen, that statement just proves that you don't understand grace gift. See, again, you think that the gifts are doled out based on a person's worthiness or performance. They're not, they're not given like that. Do you understand that if God has ever given you a gift, the very nature of God is he would never take it back. The Bible says that the gifts and the calling of God are what? Irrevocable. God's gifts are irrevocable. God never removes his gift. And so you don't have favor on your life because of who you are. You have favor or grace, same word, on your life because of who Jesus is. Can you say amen? And and, and God put you in Christ Jesus, but you know what? He also put Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. So I don't understand that. You don't have to. Just believe it. But God put you in Christ and Christ in you so that he would always have for you, listen to me, the favor that he has for his son Jesus. And irregardless of whether you're doing well or not doing so well. So listen to me. On the days that you feel like the Apostle Paul, God's favor is mightily upon you. And on the days that you feel like you're being led by a spirit of stupid, because you've done some really dumb stuff that day, God's favor is still mightily upon you in the exact same manner. It's not contingent upon how good a day you're having or how much Bible you read or how long you prayed. I'm for reading the Bible. Put me down for that. I'm for praying. But you don't earn it. This is not earning it. You may need to pray four hours before you start believing. But when you believe, you receive. Amen. And so God says here that, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. And I would say by far most of the American church is totally ignorant when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, most of the churches that are meeting in our city today will not allow, nor will ever teach, nor will ever talk about the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in their church. They just simply ignore this part of the Bible. They act like it's not there. God says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Ignorant comes from the root word what? Ignore. And God says, I don't want my church to ignore these gifts. These are gifts and he said they are for the benefit of all. Now, how many knows that, that you can have somebody in the military, God forbid, but this has happened, and you, you issue them a weapon, an M16 or whatever. And in the uh, battle, they accidentally uh, shoot one of their own comrades, one of their fellow soldiers, and they call that friendly fire, right? It's not very friendly, is it? You shot me. Well, it was a friendly shot. I just, I know I blowed your arm off, but it, I meant it friendly. No, no. But because of maybe carelessness, misuse, lack of understanding of the operation of an M16, another person that is on your team was injured by that weapon. Is that right? But the problem is, uh, so what we do is we go, well, let's get rid of all the weapons. And if we're going to get rid of the M16s, we might as well get rid of the tanks. If we're going to get rid of the tanks, we might as well get rid of the aircraft that shoots the missiles. And before long, we have no weapons. 
That's what's happened to the church. Because with the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there are people that have misused the gifts of the Spirit. I see this often with the gift of prophecy. And so, uh, uh, but so what a lot of the church has done is just said, you know, because of the excesses, the abuses, the, the absolute insanity, sometimes of what goes under the name of gifts of the Spirit or prophecy, we just choose to keep our church safe and we don't allow any of it. And that way we'll be safe. Well, that's like saying you don't want to mess up the delivery room by somebody having a baby and getting blood and water on the floor. You'd rather keep a sterile environment than you would have the mess that also brings to life. In Proverbs, it says something like this, where the oxen are, uh, where no, it says this, where no oxen are, the stall is clean. But by the strength of the ox, it says the harvest is brought in. So in other words, if you're going to move with humans, you're going to have some, some messes. Okay, if you're going to have a baby, it's going to be messy for it to arrive. But the mess is worth the life. And so the benefit far outweighs any kind of misuse of the gifts. And I have seen the gifts misused. And I'm very, uh, you know, it breaks my heart in that. But, but when God is flowing through people, uh, you know, it's like the water that leaves the the, you know, its origin is pure, but it flows through a rusty pipe to get to your glass. But it's not the source, but it's what it has to flow through to get to you that puts a little bit of rust tint to it. Are you with me? Don't get sad now. We're gonna, but I, I just need to say and go ahead and, and right out of the gate that they are abuses of the gifts. And, uh, and it's sad that, that you see those. And I've seen, I've seen so many of them. And now in 27 years of pastoring, over 30 years of preaching, and I've seen the most ridiculous stuff under the name of the Holy Spirit, and under the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And even since I've been, I don't mean this mean, but I have to be honest, and I have to be allowed to say the truth as best I see it. But since I've been pastoring here, I've had, you know, a prophet to come, and, 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 and in his preaching, he said, uh, he's a kind guy, you know, I had lunch with him. I don't allow people that I just meet on, you know, I mean, you know, where before somebody preaches, I've sat down with them if I don't know them. So I've met this guy and so forth. And, and there was a genuine gift in, in his life, and I know that. It's a genuine gift. But, but sometimes if people don't have a revelation of the grace of God, they, they get really confused. And sometimes, particularly in the prophetic, which is where I lean more, they, uh, they get confused that they're like an Old Testament prophet. Well, nobody's like an Old Testament prophet today. Uh, but some, some people act like it. And uh, so in here, preaching in this congregation to you, and a lot of you, I don't mean this to offend you, but a lot of you never even caught it, I guess, and you just seemed to be kind of happy about it and laughed when he said it. It broke my heart. I made a decision right there. I'll never have him back. And he's not been back and won't come back. We say, well, that's not right. You don't forgive. Yeah, I forgive, but I can't turn you loose on my youngins. Because if you'll do it somewhere else, you might do it here. And, and I don't want to spend the next three years having to counsel them over your public abuse of them. And so what he said was that he said he was at a place preaching and he, he called a guy out and said, sir, you're living in adultery. So he publicly named his sin. And he said God told him to do that. Okay. And then everybody in here laughed. And then he said, right, and he followed it by saying he was at a city, another city a year later and he saw the same guy and he called him out a second time and told him he was in adultery. And I really made up my mind, you'll never preach again in my pulpit. Because I don't believe that. 
Now, either he lied and just told that story just for the sake of to be, uh, you know, like the shock jock, the shock guy, Howard Stern of the preacher world, or he don't understand grace at all because I thought that Jesus forgave all the sin of the world. I, I thought that he said, I will remember your sin no more. So if God don't remember your sin, how is God telling this guy to remember their sin? And somehow you're a prophet, and yet God is remembering their sin, which violates the Bible in the New Testament under the New Covenant. Because under the New Covenant, over and over in the New Testament, God said, I remember their transgression, their sins no more. Is that right? So how is God using his prophet to call out your sin publicly? And by the way, it didn't work. It didn't bring any brokenness or repentance because a year later, he's still doing it, he said. You see, boy, it's quiet in our church this morning. Hallelujah. Welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm just simply saying, you say, well, brother, there wouldn't God reveal somebody sent not to, not to bring any shame or public humiliation to him. He would never, ever. That is never. Jesus never did it. You'll never find an apostle in the Bible. You, you just, they don't do that. They don't do that. And so when you're dealing with, with God's people who have received that forgiveness, they are forgiven. Now, when you're dealing with heathens and people that have never accepted Jesus, sometimes they approach and try to come against the message. Then God may use them to declare who they are, the prophets, like we see sometimes in the New Testament, not, but not his children, not his, not his, are you with me, not his people. And so you don't have to fear, I'm telling you all that, you don't have to fear the gifts of the Holy Spirit because God would never do that to you. God would never shame you. Not one time in the Bible does God ever use shame. You know, you, you, I mean, when I was growing up, you would hear that, not by my parents, but I would hear people say, well, you should be ashamed of yourself to their kids. You shouldn't ever say that. You know that, right? God, the Bible never uses shame to try to bring correction to a person's behavior. Never. That, 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 that's just, it doesn't work. So when we start talking about the gifts, I already know there's been a lot of abuse in a lot of areas. I know I heard uh, Dr. Mark Rutland who I had a minister for me when I was pastoring in Sparks. And he's a great, great man. He's up there now with Jensen Franklin. And, and while Jensen goes to California, and I had Jensen Franklin preach for me. That doesn't make me anything. It just happens to be that I've had both of those men with me. Uh, I, Jensen asked us to go up to Free Chapel. I didn't preach or anything. I don't mean that. But he wanted me to come up after he was with me there in Sparks. And I went up, my family and Justin and, and all. And we went up and, and was with him on a Wednesday night. And he was kind to even recognize that we were there. And he'd been with us down in revival. So he's just a great man. Dr. Mark Rutland I had for three or four days. Uh, preached a community-wide revival years ago. Had him in our home. Jill cooked uh, supper for him. Can you imagine how nervous she was? cooking for Dr. Rutland. He's just, he is a brilliant, brilliant man. And, but I heard Dr. Rutland say a couple of things that's coming to my mind as I'm standing before you. But, but uh, one, you know, the, you have to understand when the gifts of the Spirit are being manifested, Dr. Rutland said that he was in a, went to another country to preach. And, and I remember this from when he was with us. And, and he, uh, I forget what country it was, but when he arrived, they said, uh, Pastor Rutland, we want you to know you really have your work cut out for you. And he said, why so? He said, because the last preacher that ministered here was an American uh, minister. And you're the first American that we've had back since this guy ministered some months ago. And he said, well, what, what's the problem with that? He said, well, they didn't like him very well. 
And they, they just really have a resistance now to American ministers. And he said, what happened? Dr. Rutland said, what happened? He said, this guy was ministering, and he pointed to one of our young men, and he said, uh, stand up. And he said, he stood up, and he said, uh, God shows me that you have a, you're, you're a homosexual. You have a homosexual spirit. And, uh, and that was not true at all. This pastor knows this man intimately, and, he's, and, he, and, he, and so he said, can you imagine being stood up and Hundreds of people have been told you're a homosexual. Um, you know, now you know everybody would just forget that and never think about it again, right? People love some news. So he said, you're a homosexual. And, and, and the man said, and he shook his head, no. He said, I'm sorry, but I am not a homosexual. He said, and you've added to that the spirit of lying. And he said, it just devastated not only that young man, but their church at large. He said, so I just wanted to tell you that, Dr. Rutland, before you preach today. Dr. Rutland's like, thanks. And he had to follow that abuse. Listen, when you're flowing in the gifts, and today it's just kind of like introductory, but when you're flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, and that's a good term, because the Spirit a lot of times is compared in the New Testament as water. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, when he comes up in, uh, in you, he says, shall be a well of living water. So the Holy Spirit is in you like a well, and that's for you to drink from. But then Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers, plural, of living water. That means that's flowing out of you for someone else. See, the Holy Spirit is in you for you, but he, he is upon you for other people. Okay? And a lot of times the reason we don't see the more of the gifts flowing is because the church is trying to use them on each other predominantly and they are for that but the, the gifts are tremendous to be used out into the world even aimed at, at sinners and people that's never had the opportunity to know Jesus Christ or to see his love and so forth and and another thing I remember Dr. Rutland saying you know he said uh, uh, and I forget what age I'm sure he's in his 60s now but he uh, he you know somebody asked you know asking these questions and and, and when I preached you know, about the gifts of the spirit, you get a lot of questions. And uh, either we've had no experience or some really bad experience. Seems like it's just one of the two. But Dr. Rutland said, you should have heard me when I was 25, 27, I think he said, or something. He said, I knew so much about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the spirit back then. And now that I'm 50 or 60, he said, I don't hardly know anything about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that ministered a lot to me because that's how I feel. You should have heard me preach back when I was 20, in my 20s, about the nine gifts of spirit, because I knew so much. And today, I don't know so much. You know, I don't know. It's not, I don't know. Because the Holy Spirit is God. And let me say this to you. If you are born from above, born again, born of the spirit, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. So you're not saved apart from the Holy Spirit. So some of you that's been raised around Pentecostal might be a little confused on that. And it's almost like, because I kind of grew up thinking I was saved, but I didn't have the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. They would get mad if you said Holy Spirit because they thought you were trying to be fancy. Because King James says ghost, so you're supposed to say ghost. Well, ghost kind of confuses people today. They don't know what ghost, Casper, friendly ghost, what are we talking about here? You know, so the Holy Spirit is God. John, Acts chapter 5 says that the Holy Spirit is God. You know that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But you, So you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you when you're born again. And if you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, then any of these gifts can and will flow or manifest through you 
uh, as God chooses. Now, uh, some people kind of get upset about that. Now, I don't believe that, in other words, I don't, God doesn't take and remove and the anointing. I used to pray and beg and scratch and claw and fast for the anointing and not reading my New Testament that said that the anointing that you have received abideth in you. So the anointing is in your spirit. You have the anointing. It didn't come and go and visit and, and then go away. But I, can I say to you that we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in the church today and in the body of Christ. Do you believe that? And so I believe one of the biggest reasons that the body of Christ hasn't made uh, more of an impact upon our generation today is because of our failure to operate or allow the gifts of the Holy Spirit to manifest. I've always loved what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul was talking about his preaching. And Paul said that my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, Paul said I, didn't use my, I wasn't depending merely upon persuasiveness, words, but, but, but in the demonstration, that word uh, translated into English demonstration is the Greek word means to manifest. So uh, is to make visible. So Paul said that my preaching uh, was not just with human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, comma, that your faith, listen to this, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, if I didn't know that was in the Bible, that would sound like heresy. Because I, if I was writing the Bible, I would say that I want your faith to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul said, I want your faith to be in the power of God. Now imagine if we judge preaching like that today. Most preaching is based on just persuasive words. With no demonstration. And, no even, and most preachers don't even pray for any demonstration because they either don't believe it or if they do believe it, they don't want it to manifest. Because it's just too messy for them. We don't, oh, we don't want to cast out devils here. We, we just want to, you know, provide a home for them. And, and uh, I love Acts chapter 14, verse 3. Acts 14, 3, I didn't give these back. I don't know if I could hit them on the fly. But uh, Acts 14, 3, uh, Paul's here. He says, and therefore they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. And I love this. Who was bearing witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Don't you love that? You know I love anything that's got the word grace in it. But he said that God bore witness to their preaching of grace. We, we should, a grace church that really understands grace should have more manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit than any kind of church. Because we of all people understand that it's not by our worthiness, not by anything else, but God's grace that these gifts flow uh, in and to and through us. And so we want our life to be naturally supernatural, like Sid Roth likes to say, if you know that guy. That why can't we be naturally supernatural? Why, when you get a word from God, do you have to contort your face and body? I'm getting a word from the Lord. I don't understand that. I think God's giving me a word. You know, you're giving me a headache. Just relax, dude. You Listen. The gifts can operate at the airport. They can operate at Walmart. And, 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 and a lot of times the gifts are trying to operate and flow through you. You just don't recognize them. You just don't recognize them. Because we've had some really poor examples of how and to whom those gifts flow and who God uses. Well, who are the gifts for? Well, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. I read it for you. Let's read verse 7 again of 1 Corinthians 12. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. For the profit of all. 
for the common good of everybody. So it's not just for preachers. It's not for apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors. It's for you. It's for everybody. First uh, Peter 4 and 10 1 Peter 4 and 10 says that. It says, as each one has received, has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so how do we move or how do we flow in the gifts of the Spirit? Now listen to me. One of the most important steps to flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to first earnestly desire them. That's what the Bible says. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the same chapter we have down in verse 31. He said, earnestly desire the best gifts. What would you do if you earnestly desired the best gift? You would at least ask for it, wouldn't you? If your child earnestly desires the best gift, what's the best gift that that child wants? The ones they want. What's the best gift, Brother Dale? The gift that is most needed. So if you got sick people there and you got you know, some other gift operating, distinguishing the discerning of spirits, that's not the best gift for that person, is it? For what do they need? They need healing. So the gift that we need at that moment is the gift of healing. Is that right? So that would be the best gift at that moment, at that time. So the best gift is not, well, that's the best gift. No, no, the best gift is the gift that is needed. Are y'all getting anything out of this? Is this okay? 1 Corinthians 14 in verse 1 says, pursue love. Why did he say that? Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And then he says, especially that you may prophesy. Well, desire spiritual gifts. Another way of saying this is as long as you can live without flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you will. Okay? And if you get used to, flow, you know, without the gifts, then you'll just get used to being without the gifts. Um, but he says pursue love. Why? Because Galatians tells us this, faith works by love. Faith operates by love. So if you don't have love, if you just want to be used by the, you know, the Holy Spirit, the gift to manifest, but you don't love the target, they're not going to flow right. They're not going to flow uh, right. And, and, and so you, you say, well, I don't even know what my gifts are. I don't even know what my spiritual gift uh, is. Well, that's okay. But listen to me. Identifying your gift is much easier than you might think it is. Uh, there's several clues to what your gift is. Uh, I've said over the years, uh, go to an Old Testament uh, example like uh, Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah was, had a great job, cushy job, uh, kind of a dangerous job, I guess. He's a taster, wine cup bearer for the king. So he takes a sip for the king, and if they're trying to kill the king, then you die, and then he knows not to drink. So, but you get paid good for jobs like that, okay? So he's living in the palace, and also the king begins to be real buddies with you. Because literally you're laying your life down every day for him. So he starts to really like you. And so he's there, really got a good job. And so he has some brothers come from Jerusalem, which has been burned and destroyed. Uh, and, and, and they tell him a report of the condition of his, his Jewish uh, uh, people. And he's never been to Jerusalem. He was born in Babylon. Do you understand that? Nehemiah was born in Babylon. He, he'd never even been to Israel. But yet, he knew he was a Jew. And what happened to him? When he heard how the atrocities and the starvation and all that was going on, he cried. It made him weep and cry. And he couldn't even get his stuff straightened out and get it, get it together before he went back before the king. And the king said, why are you so heartbroken? He said, this is none other than sorrow of the soul. What's wrong with you? And he said, he said oh, king, you know, because you could get killed for coming before the king and bringing the brother down. I mean, he could go like, you're depressing me. Kill this guy. I want to be around him. And so literally, you could. And so he was putting his life on the line by being heartbroken. And he just tells the king, 
you know, uh, what, what's making him cry. You know what the king did? You know what this king will do over what makes you cry? He'll provide the provision and let you do something about it. What good does it do to just sit around and cry about it? So listen to me. One call to your gifting is what, what is it that makes you cry? What is it that breaks your heart? What injustice breaks your heart? Now, you could be sitting there with five Christians at your home, and you've got the TV on, and all of a sudden a commercial comes on for some starving kids in some, you know, Africa, say, and they're bloated bellies and they're starving to death, and one Christian out of that, uh, and you're eating, and they have the TV on, and, and, and five Christians are there, and one Christian sees that commercial and puts their fork down, excuses herself from the table, goes to the restroom, and tears start rolling down their face. Because of what they saw. Uh, God's probably called that believer to do something about that situation. Now what you got to be careful of is not let that believer come back to the table and cuss them other four out for not stop eating. How can you still eat when you, this is going on in the earth? God didn't touch them with that burden, that gift, that, you understand? So don't judge your brothers and sisters just because they don't all salute your flag. Be merciful. Everybody's different. You know, one of the worst people is evangelist. And I know I'm talking about the guy that comes with shiny shoes, slick hairdo, and five sermons on hell and heaven that comes in the spring and the fall. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person that has the true gift of an evangelistic heart. And these people, a lot of times, do what Peter Wagner calls gift projection. They project their gift over on everybody else and judge everybody by that. So these are the people that's going to be at Walmart passing out tracts on Saturday. They're going to be the people that's witnessing. They're the people that's when you teach on anything other than getting souls saved, God don't care nothing about that. All God cares about, he came to seek and save that that is lost. That's all they want to talk about. I remember Pastor uh, Mike Hobbs in Tifton was teaching one time on the R or the covenant and uh, the, the tabernacle of Moses. And this guy uh, wore one of these black dusters. You know, it was, it was wintertime, but he wore one of these long dusters. just happened to be his time. Now, I, I got one that's not black, so don't get mad if you got one, okay? But uh, they, they are warm in the winter. But so he had this long duster on, and uh, he walked up to Mike. Mike told me this after service. He said, God don't care nothing about learning about no tabernacle. <laughs> he said, people are dying and going to hell out here while you're up there talking about a tabernacle, Moses. He said, God cares about the lost. And he got offended and left the church. He left the church over. But he would be the guy that would be out witnessing and, you know, and passing out tracts and, you know, you're born again. You, you hate to eat with those people. You go to a restaurant, you know, they, the first waitress comes, they try to get them saved in the first 30 seconds, you know. I mean, they do, man. They do. And uh, I remember uh, when uh, Bob uh, with the gold, who? Bob Shadows, uh, who, uh, you know, anyway, don't, don't mind. But I, I went to eat with him, and he was kind of like that. He was, uh, he's dead now, and God used him mildly. Signs and wonders followed his uh, ministry. And I remember when I went, I'd done heard about his stuff that he pulled in restaurants. So he came to preach for me. And, uh, and so I took him out to eat Western Sizzling, and when we got in there, uh, and I said, no, Bob, don't, don't do this now. Because I'm not wired like that. I mean, I just, that just ain't me, you know. Because um, I heard that where he had been previous that he stood up at the restaurant real loud, and I believe it. 
He'd done this several times. He didn't do it with me, praise God, because I told him I'd, I'd, take, I'd cut his offering off. <laughs> yeah. But he would stand up and say, I'm in love with a man. And then just wait until the restaurant got real quiet in his attention. Now imagine the poor pastor sitting with Bob when he stands up and hollers, I'm in love with a man. And they're all looking at that poor guy sitting there going, he's in love with that man. And then Bob would say, and his name is Jesus. And I'd love to tell you about him. If you want to know about him or something like he would do that, you know. And, and, uh, but I said, Bob, I beg you, please, brother. I got to live in this town after you go. Don't, don't do that. It was so unusual, the things that would happen. To, uh, we, sometimes it's reported, and you, you may think this is really crazy. But there are signs and wonders, and there are signs that make you wonder. But God uses things to, like, ring the bell to get people's attention so they can come and hear the gospel. And, uh, and so uh, God would use him in, in, in that way. But the gifts of the Spirit are for everyone. Now, uh, identifying it may be what makes you cry. Another thing could be what makes you angry. Do you know Moses got really angry when he saw an Egyptian beating up on a Hebrew slave? And Moses didn't channel his anger properly because what did he do? He murdered that guy and buried him in the sand. But, but, but it is a clue. There will be some things that make you angry. You ever heard of MAD, M-A-D-D? Mothers Against What? You know why she created that organization? Because her child was killed, tragically, by a drunk driver. So she got mad about that. And she created an organization, this woman did, named MAD, that has gone all over the world and has saved millions of lives, no doubt, because of her effort. See, you don't react to things, you respond. And there will be things that make you angry. Things that, that, that people do that will make you angry. But you, you, but, but, you know, it's an indication of what God's called you to. Moses was a deliverer to help those people, but he didn't handle his anger. Some people get angry over abortion, and they go in and bomb doctors' offices and kill doctors. And you ever heard of that stuff in America, you know, uh, especially decades ago? And, and, and they do it all in the name of Jesus. That's not Jesus. Jesus don't do that. So, but there will be things that will make you angry. There'll be things that will make you cry. That's part of the clue to your calling. The other one is, what do you desire? What is it that attracts you? What, what gift would you like to be used by God? Well, then that's a desire uh, of your heart. So go after desires. Another way to kind of prove that gift is uh, how successful are you when you attempt that gift? In other words, if you say, I have the gift of a teacher, but nobody wants to hear you teach, then you, that might not be your gift. You say, well, I have the gift of song and singing. And there are people that I have pastored that were tone deaf. And they had seemed like the greatest zeal and passion for singing solos. And I used to be the young pastor that would let them. Well, you know, let's make a joyful noise to the Lord. I don't do that anymore because it's too painful for the rest of us. I used to have this lady at our church that would want to sing, and she just had such a zeal to sing, and she'd bring her accompaniment tape, you know, and she'd want to sing. And so she would stand up to sing, and I'm telling you, she couldn't carry a tune nowhere. But they had to start that track, and she'd start singing, and every head in our church would bow. That's the most prayerful I ever saw in my church was while she sung. 
I don't know if they were praying for her to God, please give her a voice. I don't know what, what it was or if they were like, God, please let this hurry and get over. But it sounded like he was dragging a cat off a hot tin roof, you know, real slow with his claws out. You know, it just kind of sounded like that. It just wasn't pleasant at all. And, uh, and it's hard to look at those people and say, that's not your gift. But sometimes you have to do that. You know, I mean, you just have to say that's not your gift. Some people are called to preach, you know, so they're called to preach. They can't, they just can't preach, you know. But they'll get mad and go down the road and start a church on the corner and have five people for, you know, and, 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 and then they'll, and they always paint a sign, international ministry. They're, they're always an apostle or a prophet. Uh, I remember I had a minister who wanted to be part of our network years ago and and that happens to me a lot. And, and they came in and wanted me to ordain them or whatever. And, you know, and I'm kind of like L.A. taught me, my, my pastor. You know, let's eat chicken a while, see where this goes, you know. There's a verse in the Bible that says, know those that labor among you. So I have to get to know the person. It's not right to just put a stamp on somebody because they say they're that, you know. So that they started hanging around the network and so forth. And then, I don't know, six or eight months. And I have an apostolic team that serves with me as well. And um, Pastor Keith's on that and Billy Ray and different ones and Pastor John Lewis and Apostle Calloway, I have different ones that are on that apostolic team that helps me. I need their insight. I need their help. And, and so uh, I remember we met, didn't we, Pastor Keith? And we talked about this person. And, uh, and so I had to meet with this minister. And, I, and they said that in the first time I saw him, they said, well, I'm an apostle. And, I, you know, that doesn't scare me anymore. Well, hallelujah, praise God. You know, but I'm not just to ordain you as one or anything until we get to know one another. And so anyway, six months goes along. I had ministered in their church, had preached in their church. And, uh, and, and I, so I, had, I met with the person and I met with my team. I said, I don't see any hint of apostolic in them. And so I met with the, the, the pastor and I said, listen, or the apostle, they, their card says apostle. Their sign on their church says apostle. Everything that they got in print says apostle. But I said, listen, um, I'm prepared to ordain you uh, as a pastor, but I'm not prepared at this moment to ordain you as an apostle because I don't mean to offend you, but I don't see that. I'm not saying you're not going to be one, but I don't see the fruit of it. Paul could point to his apostleship, and so can I. I you know, I might not be apostle to some, but I am, to, you know, for, since 1998, the preachers have been you know, coming after me for something since 1998. I never wanted a network. I never wanted to be nobody's pastor, preacher, papa, whatever. Never prayed for it. Didn't have it on my vision, five-year goal list. But I was preaching revival in Alma, Georgia, where Billy Ray was. He's there traveling there in Kentucky today. But I was, uh, he was happened to be associate there. And, and I was preaching a revival. We started on Sunday. I think it was like Wednesday. I had two of my elders. Actually, in those days, I had an airplane. I don't even like to fly. And somebody gave me an airplane. Can you imagine that? Single engine, six seat Cherokee uh, airplane, and uh, I put my life on the line for years <laughs> for the gospel, and we did. And you know, you fly in somewhere, people think you are you really something, and they think you something. If you're on TV, we were on TV for over ten years, and I would just, you know, if you're on TV, people think you're just something. You're something, all right. You're something writing a big check every month. <laughs> That's what you're writing, but uh, just all kind of stuff. But we went in there and. Uh, and Wednesday that week, that, that, uh, that uh, pastor said, God spoke to me tonight while you were ministering. He told me that you're my spiritual father, that you're my pastor. And I want to, he was in a storefront, and that was fine. I knew it before I got there. And I uh, said that uh, if you would take, you know, take me on. 
So I said, hold, I literally said, hold that thought, I'll get back with you. I came back into Valdosta and met with my pastor, Paul L.A. Joyner. He was just over with us at the marriage conference. and just I love getting to spend time with him. He's retired now, suffering for Jesus down at St. Augustine Beach. But somebody's got to do it. And, and, um, and so I uh, met with him, and I said, hey, this guy over here now is telling me I'm his pastor. And I said, what am I supposed to do with that? He said, I see the apostolic gift you know, in your life so strong. He said, time for you to start a network. Because he said he won't be the last one. He's just going to be the first one. And that's been true since 1998. Sometimes I've had as many as 12, 15 churches, and then sometimes, uh, you know, not so many. Because, you know, it's not a bureaucratic system. It's just people that mutually love one another, submit to one another for help and oversight. And it's just a wonderful way to do church and government and ministry. And, uh, but, but, you know, when you're, 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 you're these, you know, you're identifying what your gift is. You've got to see where the fruit is there. And then another way the gifts can be identified is you may actually be called out prophetically with an utterance and told what your gift is. This happened to me. And this happened to me even when I was in the Pentecostal denomination I was in, and we never heard anybody talk about, well, that was a prophecy or whatever. They would always say it was a word of knowledge or word of wisdom or whatever. But I remember uh, we put this scripture to test, so to speak. We had a, a men's prayer meeting every Friday night. It went on for years. And, and so we read in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 where it says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So we started praying for the gifts. Is it appropriate to pray for the gifts? Sure it is. There's nothing wrong with that. And you can be specific about the gift that you would like to pray for. So in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12 and 14, one of the things it says, it says, it says uh, let the one who prays, I think it's in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, let the one who prays, or speaks in uh, tongues, pray that he may interpret. How many knows that's in there? I can give you the reference. I got it up there. But he says, pray that he may interpret. So in other words, interpreting the gifts that's spoken in tongues, that's a gift itself. Is that right? So there is the gift of interpretation of tongues. Now, there is no such thing as the gift of translation of tongues. Okay? Now, sometimes you hear people, you hear people maybe speak in tongues, and this happened a few Sundays ago here in our Sunday morning service. And uh, I had the most people come up to me, or either to my wife, and say, you know, some people came to my wife and said, tell pastor, your husband, how much it blessed me that he would even allow that to happen in his service. Uh, this woman said, it's been years, decades since I've even seen that. I had people right here that's been part of this church, for instance, said it's been years and years and years. We can't even remember the last time there was a message given in tongues with interpretation. And I don't mean that as an indictment, but it's very easy for us just to continue business as usual without the manifestation of the Spirit. Most churches that do allow the manifestation of the Spirit usually boils down to prophecy, what they would call prophecy, and or exhortation. And that's pretty much it. But God gives all these gifts. And I have routinely all my life prayed. And I would say to God, like in Sunday morning prayer, God, I believe in the nine gifts of the Spirit. And I would name them to him. And, and I would say, I yield myself. To these gifts, and I have got to see some. I, I've seen more supernatural stuff than anybody deserves, and uh, but and, and, but you know what? Uh, it never is enough. <laughs> I want to see more. I've seen wonderful things, uh, and and God a lot of times uses the word of knowledge through me and the gift of prophecy. That's the primary two that operate in my life in ministry. Um, but but you can pray for that gift. So in other words, if if a person is praying for the gift of interpretation, obviously they're praying for the gift. Why would it be wrong then if you can pray for the gift of interpretation, interpreting tongues? Why would it be wrong that you couldn't pray for another gift? Sure, you can pray for a gift. It's okay to ask God for a gift. 
and it's up to him to either give that, release that gift to operate through you or not, okay? And if he doesn't, or don't, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Are you with me? I've seen people just get so upset about things. You know, they, you know and, and, and we're going, in this series, we're going to talk about some order and how God says these gifts should operate and, and, and some structure and function to them. But, but uh, I remember one time, because I said it's the gift of interpretation of tongues, not translation. So sometimes you'd hear people maybe speak in tongues for 30 seconds, and then the, tra- the translation of that may be two minutes, three minutes. And they go, wait a minute, wait a minute, something's something, you know, something rotten in Denmark here. They didn't talk for 30 seconds in tongues, and here this guy talked about. Or either, you know, the person, you know, they gave the message, the, the interpretation in King James. Listen, no problem if you do, it's re- but you don't have to. You don't have to say thou and thine for it to be authentic. And then I've had this happen to me. People, you know, I remember this person, you know, gave a word in, you know, interpreted. And they said, the Holy Spirit says that you ain't got no nothing to worry about. And somebody after the service was like, Rodell, you telling me God don't know nothing about ne- double negative and grammar? And how is she talking about God, the Holy Spirit? God says you ain't got no nothing to worry about. And it was just like they're going to discount the word. Because she said, no, nothing to worry about. <laughs> God said, no, nothing to worry about. <laughs> and they were offended by that, and they doubted the, the, uh, the uh, uh, interpretation. Listen, that's what makes it authentic. God's using us. He's using us that don't know proper grammar. He's using people that think they have to speak in the King James. Because, and it may be because they've had 20 years of reading the King James. And it's just indelibly in their their mind, and, and, uh, but it doesn't make, you know, and, and, and so you shouldn't get offended if somebody gives a word and they go thou and thus and thine or whatever. Now, I would say this to you, and, and this would be, you know, the Bible speaks about the law of the house. And I, I hate to even use that word because I don't like the word law, but I, I mean, and so I, but it, that's what it calls it this in Isaiah. But how you apply that would be like this. At my house, you, you can't smoke in my house. Now, I love you and smokers are welcome. But you got to smoke on the outside, you know, and then exhale the last puff on the outside and then come in and we'll fellowship. But now we love you, but the law of our young house is we're not going to let you smoke in our house. We, 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 we love you, but we're just not going to let you smoke in our house, okay? We let you take your shoes off, even if your feet stink, but we're not going to let you smoke, okay? And so, but, and, but you may have a house that allows that, that's great. But I don't have to live there, and I don't have to smell smoke when I'm laying on my sofa. You know where you so so, and, and I don't mean to offend you if you smoke. I don't mean that at all. But what what I'm saying is that's the law of the house. So in this house here, we don't we don't really want people saying "Thus saith the Lord" as a general rule. Now it can happen, but now when you say "Thus saith God," you better know what you're talking about, because really. Uh, if you're not, see, I, I grew up in Pentecost and we thought that was, you know, shalt not, you know, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We always were taught that's to cuss. That's to say God and then say a cuss word behind it. And, you know, I remember one time one of the worst whippings I got, we lived in Vidalia and daddy knows better now, but he was raised in that stuff because his daddy was a host baby. And, um, uh, but daddy really tore me up one time. I was in third grade. I'll never forget it. Daddy didn't get that. I mean, if I had an 800 number back then, he'd still be in prison. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that, brother, that brother broke some laws and some hide. 
We didn't know we could call for help back then. You just had to take it. But one of the worst whippings I got, and I remember we lived in Vidalia. I come home and I said, golly. Now that may sound strange. And don't judge my dad. Because they were so legalistic and taught that. You know. The whole time he's spanking me, I'm hollering, golly. <laughs> That's what I'm getting whipped for. If the brother would have just paused and explained something, that would have helped out a lot. But see, to my dad, he was told that if you say gosh or golly, that's God, this name in slang. And that was just, I was breaking one of the big ten, and so he was going to drive that home. You don't break this one. And yet, we didn't go to church. <laughs> we didn't even go to church. We lived like heathens. They partied on the weekend and fought and throwed plates and salt shakers and but I'm getting the Hades beat out of me for saying golly. Religion is cruel, y'all. It's cruel. Religion's messed up. Everybody got to have a cause. I guess it makes you feel better. At least I took care of that one right there. I'm, and, uh, but I got real clear that night, and I never said gosh or golly again. And when I even first had my own kids, I was, I was still had some remnants of that. Didn't I? But Sister Jill helped us to learn a better way. Uh, I don't, you know, but we, I just, you know, but we consider it something. But let me tell you what's using God's name in vain. When you say, thus saith the Lord, and it ain't God talking, you're using his name in vain. When you, when you come and meet with me and said, you know, God told me that I'm supposed to leave here and go somewhere else. Now that very rarely is the case. The, the truth is you got upset, you got offended, something bothered you. But so you don't want me to deal with the real issue or even, most people don't even say eat, boo or buy anyway. But the ones that are brave enough to say, but they are always going to put the God stamp on it because that way you can't say nothing about it because I told you God told me. I've had, God's so schizophrenic, not really. But since I've been pastoring, people have told, I've had, they don't even go here now. Four or five things they told me God said. God told me to do this. And six months later, then God told me to do this. And then six months later, God told me to do this. God can't make up his mind what he wants you. What he wants you to do. Well, I mean, God, God's not like that. God's not like that at all. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord, those are the ones that flourish. God's got a place for you. I'm not saying that God would never move someone from, from here. He surely will. But Isaiah said, let them be led forth in peace. You'll go out with joy and peace and the blessing. You, you'll be sent, not just went. You know, but, uh, but, you know so, but everybody that I have to meet with, they put the God stamp on. Well, God told me. You can't hear God for years, and all of a sudden now you're hearing God clear? Come on, man. You know, you come on. You know, so don't use the name of the Lord in vain in that way. So when you move in with these gifts, they're, they're wonderful, and, and they're for the benefit of his body, and they're for the benefit of the church. And I've seen so many wonderful things happen. And, and in this series, I want to tell you some of those things and give you some real-life examples. I've seen here where a word of knowledge, I told you, and I, I know she's <laughs> she told me, to, don't worry about it, Pastor, I'm not going to get tired of it. But our, our precious sister here, Mary Lee Barnes, that when I first came to, to this church, our first Feast Tabernacles came forward uh, with prayer. And God used one of these wonderful gifts uh, allowed to flow in my life. Uh, and so uh, she came up with a walker, so hot with a fever. I'd never even seen the woman, never heard of the woman. Pastor Johanna sat back there. She knows all this is the, is the truth. i never even seen the woman, never introduced to her, didn't even know nothing about it. And she come and stood right here. And one of these gifts operated, and they can operate in your life. It's not just preachers at church, okay? 
Uh, but I think we're more yielded at church. It just seems to be more, we're more conscious and God conscious. Maybe that's why we see more of it at church and less of it. Where, but listen, one of the ways you flow is, is love. And, and, and uh, uh, Joel, uh, not Joel, uh, his daddy, John, was it John Osteen? John Osteen. You remember John? Uh, John kind of coined the phrase um, divine flow. He kind of got credit for it because he wrote a book by that title, I think. I never read it, but, but, but he would use that. And so what, what, this is how, you know, how do I know the gifts are going to operate with, between me and someone? I'm going to tell you how. It's called divine flow. God is love. God doesn't have love. God is love. And when you'd look at, many times in service, I would just be like I'm doing now, and I could look out, and it don't happen every service, but I could look out, and all of a sudden my, my compassion just goes for a person. And, and, and I feel love of God flowing from me. Yet that's not natural. Love doesn't naturally flow out of us like that as humans. It, it's God. And, 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 and so many times I've learned over the years now, when I feel that love for a person and my, my heart just prays for them, a lot of times I'll just say, uh, ma'am or sir, can, can, can I pray for you? And then when they come and stand before me, God will release prophetic ministry to them. I remember I was ministering in, in uh, out, out from Alma one night, out in the country, way out in the country. It was a dirt road to get to this church. And, it was, and I, will, I looked back, and, and, and I saw a young lady sitting on the end of the pew, and my heart just broke for her. Never seen her in my life. My heart just broke for her. And so I've learned to follow that divine flow of love. And so when I felt that love for this woman, this young girl, uh, I, I said, ma'am, can, and she was sitting by herself, nobody on the whole pew with her. And I said, ma'am, can I pray for you? Now, I, I haven't even started preaching. This is so rare for me. I walked to the pulpit, opened my Bible, and, and, and it was like she was so standing out, illuminated to me. And uh, I was in a Pentecostal church, you know, and, 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 and so I said, ma'am, can I pray for you? And, and she just nodded real, and so she stood up in the center aisle, and here she comes. Now, while she's coming, it's a good time for you to pray, okay? So I just said, Papa, what is it? Lord, what is it? What is it? And so she's coming, and I'm just trusting, and I've got my go-to. God don't say nothing. I'm just going to tell her the Lord loves her, and I'm going to bless her and pray for her, okay? And everybody still be happy, okay? But that's not what I'm believing for. So when she come before me, and she stood there, the Bible calls it a word. Everybody say word. Not a paragraph, not a sentence of knowledge, not a paragraph of knowledge, a word of knowledge. Now, that don't mean you can't have more than one word now. Don't try to get all legalistic on me. As she stood before me, I heard in my spirit one word, infirmity. And so when she stood before me, I heard the word infirmity. And I've learned to recognize who said that. And I said, the Lord tells me you have an infirmity. And I'm going to lay my hands on you and believe for God to heal you of whatever it is. She didn't say a word. I laid my hands on her. I didn't feel a thing. I, apparently she didn't because she didn't cry. She didn't fall down. She didn't scream. I was thankful for that. She didn't do anything weird. I just laid my hands on her head, and I said, I, I curse this infirmity in the name of Jesus. I declare her what the word says, healed. Be healed, my sister, in Jesus' name. And she went and sat back down. Then me, go back to the pulpit, go back and I preach. Don't even know, don't know what the outcome, don't even understand. And to be frankly, totally 100% honest with you, I was afraid to ask her when she stood before me back in those days because I'm still learning, and I'm still learning today. But I didn't even want to say, well, sister, I hear the word infirmity. Do you have an infirmity? Because I was afraid she'd say no. And that make you look really bad in front of the church. And uh, <laughs> so I just said, Lord says infirmity. And I prayed for her. Now, a week later, I got a call from a Methodist pastor. And he said, I'm brother so-and-so, Methodist pastor. He said, uh, I'd like for you to come run us a revival, if you will, Brother Young. 
I'm thinking, why are you Methodist pastor? I, at that time, I'm a licensed, ordained, Pentecostal uh, Church of God. You know what I'm saying? I'm Cleveland, Tennessee, glory to God. What are you doing calling me? You must don't know who I is. And uh, I didn't say nothing. I just said in my heart, I said, Father, do I take this revival? And I felt God said yes. And I got my little point book out and we booked it. I went to the revival, got there, uh, never had even met the pastor. Pastor walked up and I was sitting on the front row just waiting. I, 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 I hope he's here because he's the one to ask me and I hope he'll come shake my hand. He comes up and introduces himself. They do the choir, very traditional. They do all that. And so then it comes time for the special singing. And a young woman went and had a piano on this side. She went to the piano, stood by it, and she said, I'm going to sing a special, you know. And she said, but before I sing, I'm going to give a word of testimony. And she said, and I was sitting over here where Ben is sitting, on the front row of this church on the pew. And uh, she said, I was in a revival a couple of weeks ago uh, where Brother Young was ministering. And she said, y'all know all my story. She said, I had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And they were going to take me in and do a biopsy but the doctor told me it didn't look good and we had you know y'all were all praying for me and she said I just heard about that revival over at that Pentecostal church and I just decided to go by myself and just to go and she said when I went there she says the only night I went she said brother Dale called me out of the uh, service and uh, Jace I'm trying to preach son uh it's not your Sunday uh, we're so thankful for him. He is such a miracle blessing. And it's all right. He can make all. I, can, I got a mic and I can talk louder than he can. But I said, uh, she said, uh, Brother Young called me out and prayed for me. And she said, you know, they took me in the next day to do the biopsy. And she said that when they got me back there, they said there's nothing to do a biopsy on. There's no lumps. All the lumps are gone. Uh, you're totally uh, free. <laughs> Listen, only then, because nobody gave me any upfront warning, only then did I realize why I was in that church. It was because the gift of the Spirit had opened a door for me to minister. And so the pastor knew his little uh, sheep that he loved, and that whole church loved that little young woman, and they were all very concerned, very country church, loving church, very precious church. They were very concerned. They didn't care that they were Methodist and I wasn't. And they just said, we know the power of God did a miracle here, and we want that man to come and, and preach here. We don't care. Uh, we want him to come. And we had one of the most wonderful revivals at that Methodist church. And God did amazing things there. And I remember midweek, my wife went to almost every service, and, but I remember midweek uh, I was ministering and preaching, and I felt the Lord just put that same love and compassion on the pastor. And a lot of times I'm kind of scared to pray for the head people, you know. But I got that pastor to come, and I said, I want to pray for you, pastor. And he come and stood down in front of me. And uh, I went to just lay my hands. I was just going to play a, pray a nice prayer and be a nice visiting speaker. And he went down like he shot him with a 30 all 6 or something. And, and I'm telling you, and no, no time for a catcher. Whoa, God. You know, a catcher is supposed to catch him no catcher he hit the floor on his back looked like he'd shot him i mean i was just trying to pray for him the next thing i know he's on the floor and and then but and not only that that was bad enough or good enough whatever you want to say but when he when his back hit the floor real loud he's praying in tongues now i'm not making this up and billy ray knows this intrinsically he, he knows 
Can you very familiar with this church? Uh, this church has in their bylaws, this church that I was at has in their bylaws that if you speak in tongues, you have to surrender your membership. Apparently, God didn't read their bylaws. <laughs> he was unfamiliar with their bylaws. And because the head guy, the pastor, is speaking in tongues out loud where God and everybody can hear it. And he's doing that for quite a bit there. He's laying on the floor speaking in tongues. I honestly don't know if that was his first time or if he was a closet tongue talker. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he was outed that day, though. He got, he come out. So he stood back up, event, you know, got up. After a few, you see, he probably 30 seconds, but he got back up. And he, he was just crying. <laughs> Woo, you see, when you tell these stories, you get to drink of the water again. That's what's wonderful about memories. And he said, Brother Young, uh, I'd like to say something. Because his church. I'm just there to serve. <laughs> yes, sir. I ain't in the mic. I'll go sit down. He's just crying. He's trying to get himself together in front of his church. This is what he says. I'll never forget it. This Methodist pastor, with all the love of the heart of God, says, Church, I need to repent to you tonight and ask your forgiveness. And boy, that really got all of his church's attention. He said, because I have, this is how he worded it. This is just how he chose to word it. I'll never forget it. He said, I just want to repent to you and ask your forgiveness for I have not done with the healing message what I should have done with it. And I ask your forgiveness. And I guess he was saying in light of this young lady being healed. And, and, uh, and he said, what most of you don't know, he said, only a few of my uh, deacons know this. He said, but I've been having a lot of health issues and a lot of health problems. In fact, so many that the doctor told me that I had to choose either quit my job, because he was bivocational, or either quit the church. But if I continued to try to do both, it would kill me, literally, and that I could not function anymore. And he said, I've been in such a position and a predicament that I have not known what to do. But he said, I want to tell you, with everything in me, I know God healed me tonight of my problem in my body. And he said, I'm going to stay here as your pastor, and I'm going to love and preach the gospel to you, and I'm going to preach all the Bible to you, he said. And the people were crying all over the church. They all began to, without any kind of call from him, get up spontaneously, different ones. And they just walked up there to their preacher and put their arms around him. And they're crying. He's crying. Service was over that night. Because God did something beautiful and wonderful. And I got to just sit on the front row with tears now coming out of my eyes. Heart so touched by watching God love on his family. Love on his minister and love on his people. And every bit of that is because the Holy Spirit was allowed to flow. You know, just because of that one night, just being, say, can I pray for you, sister? And I heard a word of knowledge that released the gift of healing and took away that woman's problem, whatever it was, cancer or not, we don't know, but there was nothing to do biopsies on. I've lived that all my life. What breaks my heart is the few times that I've got to Live it. It makes you want it every Sunday. And it makes you want it every time that the doors are open and you gather. And it can be that way. See what that happened there. And I've had this happened to me two revivals. That one, and I'll tell you next time about one in Douglas. But see, that pastor had gone back and through his affirmation and their trust for him, they were totally convinced that it was all right for me to come. And you know, their expectancy level was so high that it was so easy to flow that whole week into gifts. And we saw multiple, multiple people healed of all kind of diseases at that Methodist church because their expectation was high. 
See, when people go to a Benny Hinn meeting or they used to go to a Catherine Kuhlman meeting, they didn't go there, you know, saying we're just going to log another Sunday and eat chicken and go home. No, no. They went there expecting God to do things. And God will meet you at your faith and expectation. And if we would come into Grace Point Church Valdosta with our expectation up, we would see every Sunday the miracles begin to manifest and the healings begin to manifest and the, and the, and the gifts to flow right here in this house. And, 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 uh, and, and I don't mean, you know, because we're all just, you know, instruments. But if you say, well, that's Brother Dale, or old Pastor Dale, or he's going to preach to us today. He's going to tell us about God's goodness and grace. Then that's all. Then my hands are kind of tied. That's about all I can provide. Even Jesus said, I cannot do mighty miracles in my hometown, except that I laid my hands on a few sick folks and healed them. But he said, I couldn't do it because he marveled at their unbelief. One time they, they marveled at the words that come out of his mouth and they were so awestruck. And then right behind it, they said, wait a minute, though. Isn't he Mary's son? And we know his dad's Joseph. Wait a minute. And they short-circuited the faith there and it hindered him. Because they said, we know him. We grew up buying furniture from him and his dad. And he's trying to call himself a messiah. And they didn't believe. And as soon as they stopped believing, they shut down the operation of the Spirit of God. God wants to move in every service. He wants to manifest. And if we would allow and just say, Lord, we, we are open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I can't wait to hear more and more testimonies of them happening at, at the stores. And uh, as you just live life and you're sitting across from somebody and, and all of a sudden you just maybe sitting there at the airport and you're waiting on a a plane and you're looking across the aisle and you see someone you never saw them before and all of a sudden your heart just rises up with compassion that's how the bible says that that jesus was moved with compassion for the most not sympathy compassion and all of a sudden and so when you say well what do i do when i sense that i'm telling you what to do you're learning to flow with the with, follow the love and so you just maybe go over to that person and say uh you know, I know you don't know me, and you may think it's the worst deal ever, <laughs> and that's fine. And you may not, you know, but I just feel such a, a, a compassion for you. And see, sometimes by the time you get in front of them, God's already told you what it is. Or sometimes, a lot of times, what happens to me when I'm praying for you here, or up front, or anywhere, a lot of times you just say, "I want prayer, brother Dale." So I lay my hands on you, and I just start praying. Maybe you don't know, but I know. I listen to what I'm praying. I'm praying a prophetic prayer. The laser light is searching these things out. Just a few Sundays ago, the man may be sitting here, so I won't identify him. I don't know if I even could, but he, after the service, he came forward, and uh, he said with him and his uh, wife, it was his wife, or might have been fiance, I'm not sure, but uh, she was standing off to his side, and he said, would you pray for me? And I said, yes, I'll be, I'll be glad to pray for you. So we, we prayed, and he, he didn't say anything any, any more than that, and I prayed, and, and you know, my best prayer, as we say, and, uh, but I just felt, you know, we, we just hadn't struck water yet. We drilling, but there's no water. We hadn't. And uh, we, we prayed there, and, he, and he's probably seemed to be satisfied. And if I'd have sent him home, he'd have probably been happy. But in my heart, I just said, God, help me to help this man. What is it? And I looked at him, and I was just praying. And I said, Father, help this man uh, to forgive his dad. And I thank you that 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 hurt and all the hurt from his childhood from that dad goes, is released this moment. As soon as I said that, he broke and he began to weep and, and, the, and the lady began to weep. Uh, 
because, and I looked at the man and I said, that's it. Now we found it. That's the key. See, And you just release that. What, what did that? How would I know? Because let me tell you what goes on in Brother Dale's brain. Brother Dale has this thought. What if he ain't even got a dad? What if he's never had a dad and then you say something about his dad? See, if, if you allow that world, you'll never flow in the gifts. Why, why are me and you so worried about what we look like? When you ever tried to ride your bicycle without training wheels, did you ever fall a couple of times maybe? Or was you just slick as a pin right out the gate? I remember scratching up the hill a few times going down. You know, when I took them off, I decided to take them off. Got, I got the wrench and took them off myself. Prematurely, we didn't have no helmets in them days. Helmets? We never heard of helmets. Might have a helmet for a football. I mean, we slept on the back dash of the back seat of the car. They slam on brakes, throw you into the back seats. They would tell you, get back up there and hang on tighter next time. <laughs> we had lawn darts when I was a kid. Darts steel this long with a ring. And we'd throw them sky high. And no helmet out there. You pray to God that if I hit you, you dead. Anybody had them lawn darts? I had a BB gun, gas powered. I could shoot, slam through the aluminum trash can at the corner. Go through one side and out the other side. And... And you're walking around with that 10 years old. You could kill people with that weapon. And Dad's like, here's your, here's your BB gun. Just put these cartridges, gas cartridges in there. Try not to shoot your brother. <laughs> Just different world. Different world. Sometimes some of that was better than what we... But we've gotten so cautious now in the church that we want to put on the helmet for everything. Oh, the gifts of the Spirit. Well, I better put a helmet on. I don't want to look bad. I mean, what if I'm wrong? That's why one of the amazing places that you can experiment, if you will, that word may bother you, it shouldn't, in your gifting is in community groups. Because you can be sitting in a community group and you can say, I believe I have a word for this person or you've just been on my heart all night or whatever, you know, or, and, and you can give that, you know, and, that, and, and the people there can help you. But if, if you're one of the people that say, well, I got a word from the Lord and, and you give a word that ain't from the Lord, if you give it publicly, we're going to correct it publicly. I don't mean that to make you afraid. But if we say, if, I, you know, if anybody prophesies by this time next week, you know, uh, this and this will happen and in the, in the, in the carpet will turn red and, and the seats will turn orange by next Sunday. And if we come in here and we ain't got red carpet and orange seats, then somebody's going to say, that word that was given last week, we just asked you to, you know, that wasn't from the Lord. You know, love the person, but discard, disregard the word. That's called real life, real church, real family. But see, the benefits I've seen over and over. And we'll talk about other places where the gifts have gained audience to people because God wants to love on his people. He wants to love on his people. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. You get anything out of this? You want to hear more about them? Now listen, ministry team, please come. I know y'all thought I had fired all y'all. Elders, ministry team, we always want to pray for people. If you want prayer, we're going to dismiss our church in just a moment and uh, I just try to do that because of, I'm conscious of your time respectful of it but I don't want to get so respectful of your time that we just try to say you know just hear a sermon and hit the door and all that either I want you to see God's power flowing and I, I do honestly and I know there's things that are more dramatic flamboyant if you want to call it that it, you know sometimes and but I know when, when uh, 
Sister Mary Lee come, it was similar to that woman in Alma. She stood right here with her walker. I had given a testimony about a lady that got healed in Enigma that had a walker. I stepped down in front of her, and I don't mean this offensive, but a lot of the people were praying for her, for her knees and her hips, based on the testimony of the other woman that got healed in Enigma, Georgia. But I've learned not to go by the obvious because the obvious is not always obvious. And, and I didn't know that as a younger minister. I probably would have joined right in. But I just, as I stepped down again, I said, Lord, what is it, Father? How can I help this woman in your name? I heard one word, a word of knowledge, one word. That's the way it works with me most of the time. I heard one word, and the word was abdomen. And I said, ma'am, look at me. Her name's Mary Lee Barnes. She's a member of this church. I said, look at me. She just said, I don't think she's here today. But she said, uh, or if you are Mary Lee, holler. <laughs> but she, she raised up. And, and uh, I said, ma'am, I don't believe you're here because of knees and joints and hips problems. She didn't give me any help. No expression. No nodding at the head. I said, but I heard the Lord say to me that whatever your problem is, is in your abdomen. It, how many knows it took me faith to say that? Because you know that Sister Mary Lee could look at me and said, no, I don't have any problem with my abdomen. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Because I'm just a human trying to do the best I can to follow the leadership of the Lord. And I know I'll mess up. He never will, but I will. And I'm okay with that. And so I said, the Lord, I believe the Lord says abdomen. And when, when she looked at me, she nodded in affirmation. She just nodded. And then I heard the Lord say, colon. And I was able to say, in fact, God says this in your colon. I'm getting more faith now. I can feel the Lord. You can feel the Lord now as I tell the testimony. I said, in fact, God says this in your colon. And she really began to affirm in tears, hit her eyes. And I said, sisters, lay your hand on this woman's abdomen. I laid my hands on their abdomen. Uh, on their uh, hands, because I don't touch a woman in, in those places. But I laid my hands on these women's hands that were on her abdomen. I said, I curse this thing in Jesus' name. Whatever it is, I command it to leave her body for it to be made whole. Notice I did not pray and ask God to come and heal her. God didn't tell you to pray for the sick, only elders. He told you to heal the sick. He said, heal the sick. Well, I can't heal them. Yes, you can, because he said you can. Heal the sick. I commanded it to be so. After the service, Pastor Johanna You've heard the testimony, many of you. She stopped me right over here and uh, said, I want you to, this woman wants to meet you. She merely looked at me. I'd never seen her before, talked to her before other than just praying for her. I didn't know what her problem was. She said, I want you to know, Pastor, that I had a fever so bad that I was feeling so bad. She said, but as soon as you touched me, the fever left me. And she said, I got cancer, a tumor in my colon so large they can't operate. They're giving me treatments to reduce the size so it'll be safer to go after it. Ooh, when I heard that cancer word, Brother Gene, it was like, I'm glad I, you know, I just, I mean, I didn't know it was cancer. I'm glad I didn't because that would have probably whittled on my faith a little bit, just to be honest with you. Uh, you know, it's okay for me to be that honest with you. And I can't stand it. People talking about, well, I knew it was God. No, you didn't. You were just chicken as I was. And uh, I said, well, praise the Lord. I didn't say, well, the Lord healed your sister or none of that. Because there's been people I absolutely 100% knew that were totally healed, and we buried them. And there's been people I didn't even thank God even heard a prayer, and they were totally healed. I can't figure all this out. That's why I'm like Dr. Rutland. I know less now than I used to, but I know God's still God, and the gifts are still real. And so uh, she was just called my house a couple weeks later, her husband did, 
He said, took her to South Georgia Medical Center. Nothing to, no surgery on. Colon's pristine, totally healed, no cancer. Tumor's gone. Come on, that, that's happened just a few years ago. But listen, what was it that released Mary Lee's faith to reach up and grab hold of her healing? It was when she knew that this old boy had no natural knowledge. And what did that supernatural gift do? It caused her faith to do what? Rise up in God. And when her faith rose up to that level, she appropriated what's already been paid for at the cross by Jesus. That's what the gifts do. They help us to have our faith just go to high levels. And I want to see more of that, don't you? Now, I know I can feel some of you, you pulling on me strong. You want me now to start calling people out and prophesying. And, uh, and you can put a demand on it. You can put a demand on it. What I mean by that, you begin to, to start saying, Lord, I'm just going to trust you, and I'm just going to start praying for people and flowing in that. Every one of these people up here, these elders, Crawford is prophet, very prophetic. Uh, uh, these elders, all of us, we, you may all prophesy. That's what the Bible says. Everybody in here can prophesy. Don't make you a prophet far as a gift, Christ gift, but you can all prophesy. Prophesy. You can minister uh, the grace gifts. Every one of these flow in the gifts. And so as you come forward today, if you want prayer, now if you don't, you're gonna be, you're free. Well, I'm going to let you go. But if you want prayer, don't wait the next Sunday. Come up and just say, Lord, he talked about the gifts. I'm just going to allow myself to be in the position. If you choose to flow through them in that way, you know, and the thing I like for people to do, unless I ask it, don't tell me what the problem is. Give me a chance. <laughs> Give God a chance. And then if I don't get something, God will tell God, You know, I'll say, I got enough sense to go, well, what, what can I believe God with you for? And then we'll pray for that. But our God's a supernatural God. You believe that? So, Father, I thank you for the gifts that you've given your church, your body. Different gifts, different administrations, different manifestations of the gifts, but it's the same Lord, same Spirit, one God, one Spirit that manifests them all. That's your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the testimonies of miracles and signs and wonders. I pray it for this house. I pray it for this church, for this body called Grace Point, that we would be a church, Lord, that knows that, Lord, everybody here has been qualified to be used in these grace gifts because we don't deserve it. We don't earn it. It's just your gift. Now, if they want prayer for any reason, greatest thing at all would be to receive Christ as Savior. I pray they would receive ministry today and let us yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit to be instruments of his love to your people in Jesus' name. Amen.